of our series. It was part one. We talked about the temptation. If you weren't here last week, I'll do a little bit of a review for those that were here. And for those that weren't here and you didn't get to listen to the podcast, let me just fill you in with what we talked about. We focused on the book of Luke chapter four, and we looked specifically at this tempta- the temptations that Satan put before um, Jesus. And I believe, I, I know this may seem elementary, a little bit silly, But I believe, symbolically speaking, emphasizing symbolically speaking, Satan has like a a tackle box, if you would. And in that tackle box, there's some specific lures that I believe that he uses against us. Lures of temptation. And we focused on those lures last week and how he used them against Jesus. And I believe they're found in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We looked at these three temptations. This is such a symbolic way to look at it, but I believe the first one that Jesus faced was the the lust of the flesh. I believe the second one was the lust of the eyes, and then the last one was the pride of life. I believe those are the same specific temptations that Satan uses against us today. Hundreds of years later, he's still using the same ones because he's like a fisherman. Fishermen, when they learn which lure works, they keep on using that lure, right? Talked about that last week. I I love fishing. And there's this grub I use. It looks a lot like this one right here. And when I found out that the bass would bite that and they liked it, I kept on using it. And it's my favorite lure. And the same goes for us. I believe that Satan, no doubt, has his favorite lures, his go-to temptations, and he used it with Adam and Eve. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. He used it with, with Jesus, and he uses it with us. And so we focused on those temptations that, that Satan uses against us because we need to understand them. We have to have a clear understanding of what those are. But we don't want to just stop there, Okay. We need to take the next step, and this is part two, the rejection of the temptations. How did, how did Jesus reject the temptations? How did he pull it off? I mean, we're talking about being face-to-face, literally face-to-face with Satan. In order for us to understand how Jesus pulled that off, I think we got to have a step into the sandals of Jesus, look Satan square in the face, and clearly understand exactly how Jesus did it according to Luke chapter 4. And so is, is everybody with me? Y'all follow me? Everybody focused? You, yep. you ready? Good, good. Because we're going to look right back at Luke chapter 4 and we're going to dig deep into the way Jesus handled that when it came to the temptation. Let's just stop for a minute and pray. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, help me to focus on your word. Help me not to be distracted by anything else. Speak through me, God, and use me for your honor and your glory. God, it's such a privilege to be able to speak to people about you. But I don't want to do it in my flesh. I pray, Lord, that every word that is spoken today will bring you honor and glory and good to those around me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I humbly pray and ask, Lord, for you to work in a special way. If there's somebody here today that is struggling with temptation, they're giving into it, they're hooked by it, I pray, Lord, that they'll get victory over it through what we learn today through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you are hooked because you've given into that temptation, there is a way out. Last week, I closed with this simple thought that you have to fight 
I say simple, but it's hard. <laughs> I mean, every time I catch a fish, he's like, uh-uh, not today. I'm going to get off this line. I'm going to get unhooked. Whatever it takes, I'm going to get set free. And we have to do the same thing when it comes to Satan. We have to fight. Y'all follow me? Yes, sir. We don't just settle. We don't just to give up. We, we wrestle against flesh. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. The Bible says it's spiritual warfare and we're not going to settle. We're going to fight and we're going to stand and we're going to move and keep on until we just can't anymore. And that is where we're at now. How did Jesus fight against Satan? Part two, the rejection of the temptation. In Luke chapter four and verse one, we see that Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost and returned to Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he was being, for 40 days, tempted of the devil, and in those days, he didn't eat anything. During that period of time, the Bible even says that he was very hungry after the 40 days. And then in verse 3, the devil shows up and he says unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus responds in verse 4 and answered and saying, It is written. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, Satan doesn't stop there. We know in verse 5, he continues with temptation number 2. Temptation number 1, the first temptation, the first lure was the lust of the flesh. Now he goes to the lust of the eyes. So he takes him up into the mountain and he, he shows him all the kingdoms in a moment's time, which is amazing. And he challenges Jesus. He says, listen. I'm willing to make a deal with you. I'll give you everything you see. You can become the king that you were meant to be right now. You don't even have to go to the cross. And Jesus rejects his offer because he's not going to bow the knee to anybody. So this is the second lure. This is the lust of the eyes. Everything you see, Jesus, is yours. Just bow the knee. And so we see the rejection. And then we see a continuation of these temptations. And as Satan continues to tempt Jesus, he takes him to another location. And the Bible says he takes him to Jerusalem. He takes him to the top of the temple, hundreds of feet in the air. And he challenges Jesus to do something that is just profound. Jump. <laughs> it's not a temptation for me. Jump. We know, and here he goes, he quotes scripture from the book of Psalms, that the angels will save you. This can be your first miracle, beautiful miracle. In a moment's time, you can jump, be saved, and everybody will believe by what they see. Because this is, this is Jerusalem. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of people present. But yet again, Jesus rejects the temptation. And we see how he rejects it. He literally says, it is said. He answered and said unto him in verse 12, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then the devil leaves. He ends his temptation for just a season. And by the way, that's the same for us. You're going to be tempted. You're going to go through some hard times. You're going to have some difficulties. You're going to feel tempted to do some things. And just because it lets up doesn't mean it's not going to come back. That's life. It's going to come back. And so here we are looking in Luke chapter 4 at the whole scenario of what took place with Satan and Jesus and the rejection of Satan's lures of temptation and how they are accomplished. And I believe they're accomplished in two simple ways. I like simplicity. I believe they're accomplished because Jesus was spiritually filled and scripturally focused. I'm going to say that again. He was spiritually filled and scripturally focused. Now look at verse 1. In Je Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit until the wilderness. This is, 
This is important for us not to mysticize what it means to be filled with the Spirit, okay? We can't let a religion, denominations dilute our understanding, okay, or interpret what this meaning is. We need to go to Scripture. So what does Scripture say when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit? If Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, let me give some clarity. Y'all follow my lead here and listen and focus, okay? First, I want you to understand, um, when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean the indwelling. There's a difference. When you became a Christian, you got all of God you're going to get, all of the Spirit you're going to get. Let me illustrate, okay? <laughs> the indwelling of the Spirit comes by way of salvation. That's believing in God. Filling of the Spirit comes by way of sanctification. That's submitting to God. Do you understand? So indwelling of the Spirit is salvation. You become a Christian. And the filling of the Spirit is sanctification. That means you're submitting to God. Salvation is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You accept Him and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in you. But when you submit to the Holy Spirit, that's the filling of the Spirit. That means you're saturated by the Spirit. I'm going to be very elementary for a minute, okay? And I, I'm going to put this glove on. Let's just pretend before I do... Let's just say this glove, it's like junior church for just a minute, kids' church, this glove represents you and me. We're people. And a lot of people feel this way, kind of worthless and useless and empty because something's missing. I told you, it's elementary. Let's say my hand represents the, the Spirit of God. When we trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes to and dwell in us. I'm having a Michael Jackson moment right here from 1985. He comes to indwell within us. This is very important. Don't lose, lose track of what I'm trying to say. The hand represents the spirit. The glove represents the man, the woman. The spirit comes to indwell within the glove, which is us. And now there's purpose. Y'all follow? What's the purpose? The purpose is for the glove to follow the lead of the hand. In order for that to happen... That means the hand, or excuse me, the glove has to be in submission to the hand. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Let me illustrate a little more. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to indwell in you. When the Spirit comes to indwell in you, there's a filling. It's an indwelling. Now you're submitting. You are being pliable for whatever He wants you to do. For instance, some of you, God has led you to do some things, to serve. I'm just going to use the hammer as an illustration. You have to be willing to allow the hand, the spirit, to use you so you can serve well. That's submission. That's sanctification. That means I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to do exactly what the spirit is leading me to do. Okay? I'm submitting sanctification. I'm coming closer and I'm becoming more like Christ every single day. But the, the spirit might also be leading you to give. I can, I can see what I can give, but unless I'm willing to submit to the Spirit, I'm not going to be able to give. It's not just cash. It could be time. It could be your treasures, which is cash. It could be your talents. But you have to be willing to give, submit. That's sanctification. So the Holy Spirit's indwelling in me. That's because I'm a Christian. But now I want to be filled. That means completely saturated with what He's leading me to do and follow through. Some people are not willing to submit to the Holy Spirit and go out and tell others about Jesus Christ or just tell them about Thrive Church or just get out 
and move and do something for Jesus, something better than greater than yourself. Are we all on the same page so far? Man, it's so elementary, I know. I'm so simplistic. I did do children's ministry for 15 years, so I mean, I'm trying to be as elementary as possible, but I, I don't want to be so elementary that you feel mocked. Here's the reality. When you are indwelled by the Spirit of God as a Christian, you have to take that next step and let Him fill you. In order to do that, I think we need to follow Paul's lead. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. He said, not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, in order to be filled with the Spirit, you need to be saturated, consumed by it. Does that make sense? You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, so now I'm in submission to it. And for me to be filled with it, I'm consumed with it. I eat and breathe everything Jesus wants me to do. I'm in complete submission to the Spirit. Now, this is something disturbing to think about, is the ones that are consumed and filled with other things. It's very obvious that there's something not right. For instance, being consumed with anger has caused people to kill. They're consumed with it. They're filled with it. Over and over again in the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, we see people that are filled with anger and they react accordingly. People that are consumed with lust are, are so consumed that it causes them to even commit rape. We've seen people that are so consumed with bitterness that it's caused them to hate. And we also know that people that are consumed with the Spirit have changed the world. Y'all with me? So consumed, being so consumed. And I love this. It's kind of odd the way Paul said it, but he said it's like being uh, intoxicated. It, it's like you are so intoxicated by the Spirit that it's, it's causing you to think differently and act differently. Often like people that are drunk, they say things that you would never expect them to say. They do things you would never expect them to do. They're acting outside of themselves. Y'all follow me? And Paul said it should be the same way when you're consumed with the Spirit, just not the same as being drunk with the flesh in a fleshly way. You're consumed in such a way you act different, you think different, you speak different, you're filled, you're consumed. So is everybody with me so far? We're talking about temptation. You're like, how do I beat the temptations in my life? You've got to be filled with the Spirit. And so that's very important. And when you're filled with the Spirit, then you can submit to the Spirit and follow its lead, which is the second thing that Jesus did here. He was spiritually filled, and Jesus, because of that, was led by the Spirit. He was willing to follow where he was being led. It's easy to follow the Spirit when you're willing to submit to the Spirit. It's easy to give. It's easy to serve. It's easy to do when you're consumed with the Spirit. And when you are consumed with it, you're willing to yield to it. Again, I think in order to do this, we have to be willing to be set apart. We need to be willing to be sanctified in such a way. And can I just give a silly illustration? I think about this when I was a kid. When you're sanctified, set apart, that's what sanctification means, to be set apart, consumed with the Spirit. You are set apart for a purpose. And when you know that purpose, you'll be led by the Spirit and willing to do whatever He leads you to do. When I was a kid, I had these, these shorts. I loved these shorts, and I'd wear them to bed. And I, I would wear them out. I wore them through junior high. I shared a room with my brother, Tony. I wore them through junior high. I wore them through senior high. And my brother tried to throw them away a few times, and I said, listen, these are set apart for me, bro. Don't mess with my shorts. My mom tried to throw them away. I was very kind to her, but I made it clear, Mom, please... These are sanctified. 
These are set apart for me. They have a purpose. They're comfortable. I love wearing these shorts to bed. So I, I brought them to college. I went four years to Bible college with those shorts. I'd wear them until my roommates were like, please throw those decaying things away. I did not because they were sanctified. They were set apart for my purpose. <laughs> and then I got married. Yeah, I kept on wearing them. <laughs> and then my wife made me put them away. So I, I still have them. I just don't wear them. And so I had to realize the importance or make the others realize the importance of those shorts to me. They were sanctified, set apart. They had a purpose. And the purpose was to please me, not anybody else. And, and because of that, I loved those shorts and was willing to wear them regardless of how decayed they were. Now, what's the point? When you get consumed with God and you're sanctified, set apart, and you're so focused, you're going to do whatever he leads, there's the word, leads you to do. I've seen people walk away from incredible jobs and opportunities to go on a mission field because God led them to go. I've seen teenagers give up a lot of stuff like a scholarship because of football to go to Bible college because God led them to do it. People are not being willing to be led by the Spirit because they haven't submitted to the Spirit. And that's the problem. And until you're submitted to the Spirit, you're not going to be filled and you're not going to be led. And so here's the thing that we see according to Scripture. Jesus was led by the Spirit to wherever God was leading him into the wilderness. And then God started working. I'm going to tell you, if the Spirit is leading and you are submitting, then Satan will begin to flee. And this is the reason why, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The first step to rejecting temptation is spiritually being spiritually filled. And being spiritually filled means that you, just like Jesus, will be spirit-filled and spirit-led. I, I believe it's simple, but I believe it's hard to follow through with it. Because it's total submission to God with everything, your time, your talent, and your treasures. But it didn't stop there. Come on, stay with me. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 3, we continue to see the way Jesus rejected these temptations. He was, he was scripturally focused. And so we see the Bible says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. What did Jesus say? He said, It is written. <laughs> And then he gives the scripture. And then a little further on, we see that he challenges Jesus again. And Jesus responds in verse 8. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Again, we see in verse 4, it's written. He gives scripture. We see again in verse 8. We see again in verse 12. What's the point? Jesus was scripturally focused when he was resisting temptation. Jesus, in order to be scripturally focused, Jesus had to know the scriptures. Jesus declared to Satan, it is written. And he could declare it because he knew it. You know, it's, it, it, if you're having problems and you're struggling with how to respond to certain situations, it could be because you're not, let, let, let me say this, specifically situations that are challenging your faith and you don't know how to respond to those challenges. It could be because you don't know the word of God well enough. You're, you're not grounded. You're not scripturally focused. Like Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew how to respond. And, and, and so when we are scripturally focused, we will be able to respond well. 
Paul said the scripture is like a weapon, all right? It's sharper than a two-edged sword, according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And because the Bible is your weapon against temptation, it is critical for you to know how to use that weapon. I grew up in Alabama. I just don't sound like it. But growing up in Alabama, we loved our guns. We loved our rifles and our pistols, and we were just rednecks. And my first gun, my dad took time to show me how to use that weapon. I know it's Alabama. You wouldn't think they would take the time to show me, but my dad was very intentional. He would give me that weapon, that rifle, and he'd explain to me how the weapon worked, how to use gun safety and to practice and how to, to, to manage well when it comes to certain situations and you have to use your gun. Y'all follow me? He helped me understand my weapon before I used my weapon. A lot of people use their weapon without understanding their weapon. They get in these big conversations, theological conversations, and they have no idea what they're talking about because they don't know God's word. In order to know God's word, you have to study God's word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Learning and studying God's word can be accomplished in a multitude of ways. You, some of you can get a good podcast and an incredible preacher that's feeding you. Sometimes it's through the scripture reading, daily scripture reading. We call these devotions, discipleship, small groups. Now, you just stop for a minute. Are you feeding yourself, spiritually speaking, at all? Do you know your weapon? Do you know God's word? Are you scripturally focused? Because if you're not, you are like carrying a gun without ammo. Or you're carrying a gun and you don't even know how to cock the gun. Y'all following me? If we're going to be able to resist the temptations of Satan, we have to be scripturally focused. And in order to do that, we have to know God's word. Jesus knew God's word so well that he memorized it. He memorized it, and then he would quote it. In order to do that, you have to hide God's word in your heart so you're not going to sin against God. That's what the Bible says in Psalms 119, verse 11. And so there's power in verbally declaring God's word. I believe that. All right. I don't know if you believe that, but I believe speaking loudly God's word when in the midst of temptation, God can effectively use that to reject that temptation and give you stability. I believe it's true. Now, let's just pause for a minute. If you're still with me, would you raise your right hand? Everybody focused? If you're with me, I don't want you to lose this part, okay? Thank you. If you raise your left hand, you're half asleep, you're not with me. You can sip on some of my, uh, my drink up here, wake up a little bit with the monster. In order for us to be successful as Christians, to be scripturally focused, we need to not just know God's word and understand it and learn it. We have to use it. We have to apply it. And that's what Jesus did. You've got to be very specific with Scripture when you're dealing with temptation. You can't just combat false doctrine, hate, lust, and bitterness, and so forth with just random verses of the Bible. You understand? You have to know it so you can use it to fight against those things. You have to have a clear understanding when it comes to certain temptations that Satan is throwing at you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You need to be ready, scripturally focused, know God's word so you can strike back. Now let me bring you to this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 4 and how Jesus did that. Because it's, it, the same goes with Satan's lures of temptation. In order to reject them, Satan's temptation, you must know which scriptures to use. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now watch. Each lure of temptation, don't lose me here, each lure of temptation that Satan put before Jesus questioned 
God's authority. Now, pay attention. How did it question God's authority? It questioned God's provision, as if God couldn't provide food for the Son of God. It literally questioned God's promise when he was up on and looking at all of these kingdoms. God already promised him he's the king of kings. That we already know who Jesus is, but it also it literally went and put in question the protection of God. Is, is God able to sustain you and protect you if you jump off of this pinnacle of the temple? All of those things. But it went a little further than that. These lures of temptation also put Jesus in a situation. It tempted Jesus' humanity with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So all of this is taking place and rushing through Jesus' mind. He's seeing all the questions that Satan's pulling out of the hat concerning his heavenly father. He's seeing all these opportunities in his human nature. By the way, he's 100% God, 100% man, yet without sin. So all this is happening. So immediately, because he, Christ is scripturally focused, he reacts with the right passages of scripture. Now watch. This is beautiful. And if you don't focus when you read this, you'll miss this. Jesus didn't just pick three random scriptures that he learned in Torah reading class when he was a little boy. No, it didn't work that way at all. For a matter of fact, if Jesus wanted to, he could have picked any passage of Scripture out of the 23,145 verses that were available at that period of time. But yet, he didn't. He went directly to the book of Deuteronomy. He went to Deuteronomy in two verses in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and one verse in chapter 8. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus go to the book of Deuteronomy and quote Scripture from the book of Deuteronomy? Well, there's a reason why. And I believe the reason is this. When a first century Jew quoted scripture, they would use one verse to reference the whole story. In other words, they didn't just pick a random verse. They were very specific. They wanted the whole story to unfold from that one passage of scripture. So Jesus does the same when he's dealing with temptation. So he draws Satan's attention and gives them a history lesson. Let's just paraphrase a little bit. Y'all with me? Let's use our imagination if you still have one. Jesus literally is looking Satan in the face and he says, I'm going to give you a history lesson. Actually, it's not even going to be a history lesson. It's just going to be a review because you were there, Satan. You remember. We're going to go all the way back nearly 1,500 years ago when Moses was in the wilderness. He wandered for 40 years. He has around a million Jews with him. They're standing on the edge of the promised land. And then they started to have a little doubt, a little question. So Moses had to step up and remind them what God did. My father. Remember this, Satan. And Jesus talking, my father, he provided water from a rock. He provided manna and bread from heaven. Hey, he delivered them from slavery. Hey, they were standing in the shadows of the pyramid, working their brains out for all the wrong reasons and in, in, in being tempted by false gods. My God, my God, the one and only God, my father, let me rephrase that. My father, the heavenly father, did all that. He was able to use all those circumstances for his glory and their good. And then he brings it together. And he looks at him and he explains to Satan, Listen, Satan, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, the people of Israel came to the understanding that their survival, 
was not dependent on one work of God, not one gift of God, not the bread, the manna from heaven, but every word that came out of my father's mouth. Because my father gave them a lot of promises. And my father was making them understand this one thing, this manna, this bread is nothing in comparison with the promises I have in store for you. So let me tell you something, Satan. My heavenly father, the God of the universe, he can easily turn these stones and empower me to take these stones and make them bread. But that would be one act. What my father has promised me is so much more and I'm not going to bow to knee to you and give into this temptation. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're facing temptation and you're thinking, what does it matter? I have a God that's forgiving. He'll forgive me for this. You better step back and remember, yes, his mercies endure forever, but you better step up to the plate and realize that your heavenly father has so much more in store for you. Don't bow the knee. Don't give into the flesh. Don't turn the stones into bread, symbolically speaking, to give into that moment of pleasure. There's more to it. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He said, let me take you a little further. And I believe this is beautiful because Jesus goes to Deuteronomy chapter six. And then he looks at verse 13 and Jesus declares that God never takes a back seat to worship. God is always at the forefront. And when we honor him and serve him and pledge our commitment to him, God will be glorified. In other words, if you want me to worship you, you're crazy. We'll worship no other gods. And it's just like they were dealing in Deuteronomy. They were tempted to give in to the gods of Egypt. But no, they knew that their priority had to be focused on the God of the universe, the one that's in control of all things. And then Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, Jesus takes, uh, paints a, a very clear picture for Satan. And, 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 and he says to him, and I think this is, maybe I'm taking too much liberty with this, but the word tempted also means tested. And, and I believe at that moment, at the very end of these temptations, Jesus finally says to Satan, don't tick my father off. Don't make him mad. Because let me remind you what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They crossed the father after he provided and gave and it didn't end well. And it's not going to end well for you either. He declares truth to Satan by reminding him not to mess with the Heavenly Father, not to mess with me, because when you mess with me, you mess with the Father, because the Father and I are one. Where am I going? Let me, let me just close this up like this. He declared his identity. Through Scripture, he made it very evident to Satan that I know what my Father is able to do, and I just was baptized and my father spoke from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the same goes for you and me. We should always remember our identity in Christ. We are made in the image of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Hey, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And his peace is wonderful. It passeth all understanding. When our mind is stayed on him, all works out just fine. And we're placed in a position of temptation and we're scripturally focused. We should be able to quote scripture because we're scripturally focused to Satan and remind him, a little review, that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm indwelled by the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. I'm scripturally focused. And that means I know my weapon. And I know how to use it. And so I'm going to declare it to you right now. And when I declare it to you, it's also a reminder to you that I am not just a child of the King, but also I am protected by the King. And so when I submit to him, you are going to flee because I'm going to 
claim the name of Jesus Christ. Now you say, man, that seemed a little bit cliche, Dave. It's a little harder than that. I don't believe it is. Because if it is, then Scripture is wrong. Because this is what Scripture has given us. This is what we can count on. And this is what I believe is the only way for you and me to be able to reject the lures, the temptations of Satan. You need to be equipped and ready.